0: you do you let true green do your lawn care visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed man that sunset is gorgeous grill patio sunset hard to get better than that unless you're browsing carvana's inventory while you soak it all in oh burger time so sit back get comfortable carvana's got thousands of cars under twenty thousand dollars just waiting for
1: you i could stay here forever
0: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
1: This is the Intelligence
0: Matters podcast with former acting director of the CIA, Michael Morell.
1: Hundreds of thousands of Venezuelans protested in the streets today demanding that President Nicolas Maduro step aside. 35-year-old Juan Guaido, the head of the National Assembly, swore himself in as the new leader of the country. The U.S. has been putting pressure on Maduro, including punishing oil sanctions
2: to get him to give up power. The regime of former President Nicolas Maduro is illegitimate. I believe that as soon as Europe commits, you got 40 40- 850 countries reporting, Maduro will have to negotiate his way out. And I think this is going to happen much sooner than people expect.
0: Pedro Borelli is a prominent member of Venezuelan civil society. He is in exile here in the United States from the Maduro regime. Pedro's father was foreign minister, and Pedro himself was a member of the executive board of Venezuela's state oil company. Long a critic of Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro, Pedro cares deeply about the future of his country and he follows developments there closely. I just sat down with Pedro to talk about the recent developments in Venezuela. I'm Michael Morrell, and this is a special edition of Intelligence Matters. Pedro, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Michael. Some listeners will remember that you were on the show on October 31st, 2017. That episode was one of our most popular and in it, You explained the then-current situation in Venezuela and the entire history of how we got there. Given the significant developments in Venezuela and with regard to Western policy towards Venezuela that have happened over the last week, I wanted to bring you back on the show so that we could talk about that and update folks on where we are. And, Pedro, I think the place to start is to say that at the end of our last discussion— I asked you, Pedro, how does this end? And without hesitation, you said badly. That is not where you are today. You're in a different place.
2: Why? Well, I'm hopeful that we're on the way out. If we look from October 17 to now and you quantify the human cost of this tragedy, I mean, it's ended badly. I mean, it's, and we're nowhere clear that even if we get control of the government, it's going to be an easy process of reconstruction and that people are going to be back on their feet and the people who have fled the country from from that moment on till now, probably 2 million people fled the country, if they can come back and restart their lives. So the badly sticks there. The hopeful is what has kind of been added to it. And I think the reason that we have that is because from October to now, Maduro made a critical mistake and he made a mistake in May of last year, he run a sham election. He knew that he wanted to very quickly legitimize himself. Nobody really serious participated. The rules were a sham. And he declared himself the victor of an election that no serious country recognized as free and fair. So from that moment on, there was a ticking bomb that there had not been a proper election. The end of his constitutional period was going to be on the 10th of January. And this is what set, set us up in the current uh, opportunistic thing. Now, we can go deeper into why that became significant, but it took, from the 20th of May, as 73 countries refused to recognize that as free or fair elections, the idea that at some point on the day that the term was over, there was not going to be a properly elected president. That's the first phase. So there's a constitutional opening. Then the world got more upset. And this became a regional crisis, not just a Venezuelan crisis, because this migrant crisis, I just discussed about the two more million people leaving since we had the first program. That became, made this be a regional crisis. Third, politics in the region have changed. So through succession of elections in Latin America, we've got centrist parties coming in and leftist parties not only being defeated, but, but always being defeated with a cloud of corruption. And that's a case of Brazil and uh, particularly Brazil and Argentina, and also to some degree in Colombia. So there's an, an an international change, an alliance that was possible, and that within an election in Venezuela, within the National Assembly of a very young, charismatic president, who by, according to our constitution, would be forced to replace or assume executive powers if there's no election or if the president had died or something like that, suddenly it kind of all lined up. So it's 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 that the situation we're seeing right now, something that was... Part of it was predictable, part of it is just what's occurred, and we have an alignment of stars that have put us on a path of a potentially constitutional, democratic, electoral, and for now, peaceful solution, which we did not foresee before. So
0: at this moment, who has recognized the new government?
2: Juan Guaidó has been recognized by the group of Lima which is a, a subgroup, an ad hoc group was, was created in Latin America of the main democracies by the, the United States. is not a part of that group, but the United States has also recognized it. Israel has recognized it. Australia has recognized them. And what you also have is the European Union has given Maduro eight days to call new elections or they will recognize Guaido. So that would be the 28 from there. And I think that will cascade the rest. I think we're, we're in, in a moment, which is Maduro's already refused that ultimatum, has said that he's not going to call any election, that he's a legitimate president. So I think we will, are going to see very quickly the European Union in block supporting it. And that is almost game over. At that point, those are the countries that really matter for Venezuela. Those are the countries that, which has any relationships, uh political, trade, cultural. And, and, and I think, you know, you could then find that Russia might not recognize him and China might not recognize him. I even believe that if we get to this point, Why they will be recognised by Russia and China as long as they get guarantees that their investments in Venezuela will be protected.
1: What is the U.S. security interest here? Stability, one; humanitarian crisis, two; and the sense that there is this deeply illegitimate government in a powerful or once powerful and once rich country in the southern hemisphere running rampant, inflicting violence, repression, and bloodshed. This
0: was a big step for the United States, Canada as well. Who deserves credit for making this big policy call here?
2: I think you made a, a good point. It's it's a funny combination of two very distinct leaders, Trudeau and Trump. I mean, it it is amazing to see how these countries that had you know, all kinds of back and forth on Venezuela, they've been in a single position, Canada has played a role where, for them, Venezuela has become their number one foreign policy priority. For the U.S., it's been like among the top five or six priorities. So there's been a lot of focus from the beginning of the Trump administration on this issue. And, and that leadership, that leadership from two completely distinct leaders with completely different political ideologies, it's quite important. The other thing that I think deserves is that Trump administration has actually built a multilateral alliance. Uh, in the region, I mean, these countries that are associated in what's called the Group of Lima, all of them coordinate with the United States, and they're from different colors, different signs. But I almost would say that if the Trump administration run other parts of the world the way that they've managed Venezuela, we would we wouldn't be criticizing it uh, in any way, shape, or form because this is the way things get run. The United States doesn't take, doesn't get overly ahead of the game. In this particular case, they were behind the ball. I mean, they actually came behind. The Latins and Canada pushed very hard to give, deliver an ultimatum to Maduro on, on January the 4th in a group of Lima meeting that took place in Lima, uh, Peru, and basically said, Mr. Maduro, you do not swear yourself in again because you did, not, you did not run a free and fair election. You transfer power over to the National Assembly as a constitution of your country mandates. And the United States, to be honest, said, well, I mean, that's a pretty far reaching position of the Latins. How are they going to enforce it? And suddenly, they all realized that this was an opening that is the best option to solve a problem that is now a problem of the entire Americas. And this avenue of following the path of the Constitution and putting a lot of pressure on Maduro to abandon power, having as an alternative a quite charismatic kid who's been able to rally the streets of Venezuela around him, almost from from nobody knowing who he was. This combination, I think, is one that, in a way, everybody participated. Secretary Pompeo, I think, took an uh, an administration that probably was not seeing this particular opportunity as valuable and turned it into very valuable. So I'm happy to say that there's a lot of people who can claim credit here. Not a single one can claim it. And, and I think it bodes well for the future because this is not a problem that gets solved at this stage. The reconstruction of Venezuela is going to take years and tremendous amount of support. So it kind of looks pretty nice where, you know, the, the, the Trump administration understands that. So while they talk about not putting money outside and make America great, in here they're defining America bigger, in the Americas. I think they're willing to provide a tremendous amount of help in Venezuela for the years to come. And that's not just political help, but economic help, technical help, security help. And, and in that, they have willing and able partners in the region. Now it's time for every other nation to pick a side. No more delays, no more games. Either you stand with the forces of freedom... Or you're in league with Maduro and his mayhem.
0: One more question on U.S. policy looking backwards. This is something the Trump administration paid attention to almost from day one, in a way that the quite frankly, the Obama administration didn't. Is that the way you see it? And what's your sense of why that was the case?
2: I think the Obama administration did not want another problem. So if they could sweep something under the rug and just say, look, let's see if we can dialogue and just they, they kept an approach uh, that, that, that wasn't particularly smart. And when the administration came in, they had different points of power. Maybe they thought it was an easy thing, but General McMaster, and I think this is where having a general in that position became aware. I said, look, I don't know anything about this, but let me just line up all the potential options and contingencies around that. And, and I give a lot of credit to the way the process was studied and presented to the president by the NSC run by McMaster. I think the plan that is being executed right now is a plan that existed during McMaster's time. So again, another point to say that many people have participated in something that looked dire. It's not we're not you know we, we we by no I mean we haven't crossed the finish line by any sort, but we're pointed in the right direction in what is a multilateral, multi-pronged approach to give Venezuela a second chance.
0: Pedro, can you give us a sense of Guido the man? What is he like? How does he think? What is his worldview? What's your sense of that?
2: Do is a young man. He's 35 years old. He comes from the generation that in 2007 rose up against Chávez and basically changed the nature of the battle. The youth movement had not been that involved in the political crisis until 2007. Once they came in, the dynamics changed, and you saw a fresh generation out in the streets, then participating in politics, Waido has been in Congress at, 20, at thirty-five years old. He's been in Congress for nine years. So, I mean, he's, he's actually been a guy very exposed. He has his chair of, you know, he has bullets and some like of that that he's taken in, in some of the attacks that have happened directly to Congress. He was unknown to the extent that he wasn't one of the figures that everybody is focused on, which were more people in the, around the age of 45. So this drops down to his generation. And among them, he's probably the best He has really, I mean, the the, the way that he's electrified the streets of Venezuela, uh, it's almost like, where was this guy? Why weren't we seeing him? And his election as president of Congress was because the people who would have taken it were all inhabilitated. They were in exile. They had to run. And then he ended up being the guy from that party in a rotation between the party that he belongs to was going to have the presidency. And when they looked around and said, let Juan have it. And literally, I think everybody was surprised of how we had missed this guy, and how serious he is, and how immediately the country took to him. And clearly, now that he has the, the support of you know, twenty large democracies, and he's engaging conversations with them and all that, suddenly there's gravitas around him. So, in terms of worldview, I don't think he's focused that much on the world view. He's very focused on Venezuela and bringing the bringing the people who've left uh, Venezuela back to the country putting together a program to reconstruct it, uh, being a good counterparty to those who are going to help us, and also a pretty fierce figure to those who who might want not to help. I think he's extending an arm to Russia and China by saying, are you guys going to be part of the solution, or are you going to continue being part of the problem? I actually believe that Russia and China do not have a better option than to sit down, negotiate, try to keep their investments there, and be part of the solution. Because if they continue the way they go, they're not going to get paid, they're not going to get any money for their investments. This is a solution that might actually fit all sides.
1: He's size. a 35-year-old who was virtually unknown a few weeks ago and is becoming the recognized leader of his country. I spoke with the Colombian ambassador last week who said the boy he met in Washington earlier this month is not the man he's seen on television, that he's grown so much in such a short period of time he hardly recognizes him. And this So, movement- Pedro,
0: you mentioned earlier how difficult the challenges are ahead. Should this work out and should he end up in the presidential palace? Given his his youth, given his inexperience, is he capable of tackling all those problems?
2: I think he has a willing country. I've never seen a country change moods so rapidly. So the extent that we do this, we, we, we finish this period of usurpation where Maduro is now pushed out and Juan takes control of all the levers of power... I think he's going to be able to count on all the expertise of Venezuela. He does not generate any negatives. So his ability to assemble a first-rate team is better than almost anybody. In in, in an interesting way, we actually had control of the National Assembly, but the guy who's right now running the National Assembly before Juan came, the guy who ran it all for the year 2018, nobody had any trust in him. He had no ability of getting anybody coalescing around him. So the the importance of the right timing, the right combination, the right uh, international environment – this is why I say that everything has a line, and I do believe that going forward, I mean, in my, my conversations with one, like, you know, every single day, I see a guy growing, I see a guy very serious, and in a funny way, Mike, the fact that this is slow, that this is a very unusual thing where you've got an usurper in power and a recognized, widely recognized president out of power, trying to assume power, the timing is working very good because it's allowing things to settle in. I think if this had been a very sudden thing, which is maybe what we would want from a you know, kind of a definitive response, you might have caught him uh, unprepared. I have talked to him every single day for the last month, and almost every single day I've seen a guy that is more comfortable, understands the challenge, and is getting people to call us around him that would help him. So I'm, I'm actually optimistic on him.
1: Today, Treasury took action against Venezuela's state-owned oil company, Pedevesa, to help prevent the further diversion... Of Venezuela's assets by former President Maduro.
0: So right now we have growing international support for him. The people of Venezuela seem to be behind him in terms of the people who come out into the streets. And by the no, millions. There's no counter Maduro yep. support, right? Yep. And we've got the U.S. imposing even tougher economic sanctions on Maduro. So what's the next act in this play, right? How do we get from where we are today – to getting Guaido into the presidential palace.
2: I I believe that all that takes is that the the cost of usurping power for Maduro becomes so high that he has to just negotiate his way out. Um, The negotiation is difficult, Michael. Uh, Maduro has sealed indictments in the United States for narcotics trafficking. He's the case of Venezuela on the violation of um, crimes against humanities in the International Criminal Court in The Hague. Um, I and mean, this is a man that's, that probably does not understand that, he, you know, he should choose life versus death, but it's not going to be life in freedom, and he's not going to be able to enjoy the money that he protects. So we're in the process of pushing him out. The key thing here is the military. The military will switch sides when they realize that this is irreversible, that that Guaido is there, that through the sanctions and recognitions, I mean, I actually believe that recognition is a big sanction. I mean, the fact that you're usurping power... But the world is recognizing somebody else. There's no worse uh, sanction than not being recognized. And little by little, as power transfers to Guaidó, Maduro is isolated. I believe that as soon as Europe commits and you get the 28 countries of Europe adding to that, and you've got 48, 50 countries supporting, Maduro will have to negotiate his way out. And I think this is going to happen much sooner than people expect, clearly. The U.S. sanctions are incredibly debilitating. This is the nuclear option. I mean, this was always there when McMaster put his plan. This was the nuclear option. I disagree that it would be used before. I agree that it's used right now. Before, because it, there was no end to it. Here, because he has a deliberate purpose of forcing Maduro to recognize that he has no access, that the cash is now in the hands of whatever, that anything that he exports, either anything that they ex- export in oil, The proceeds from that go into block accounts controlled by Guaido. So Maduro is now sitting in the presidential pass with less levers and no money.
0: How long will this take, do you think?
2: I think I'm seeing a U.S. government and a Canadian government and other governments understanding that the time of usurpation has to be reduced, that this, this is not viable as a long term solution. And I think that's what led the United States to go for the nuclear option. So, days and weeks? Days. 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 Days.
0: So, Pedro, if this all works out, this will be a a significant step forward for the Venezuelan people. It will be a great foreign policy success for the Trump administration. But the benefits, right? The benefits just aren't about what's Venezuela here, right? The benefits are broader than that in your mind. What are those?
2: Much broader. I think the whole notion of you know Chavismo of you know, of this leftist populism, um, this has contaminated a lot of the politics. There's this idea and, and you know, Chavez Castro, the whole idea is still there. I mean it's almost like communism of the twenty first century just refuses to die. And I actually believe that you know there's been so much damage done by President Lula to Brazil, by the Kirchnerist in Argentina. And with a big, big risk that Mexico could fall into this, that the f- collapse of Maduro, would, I think, is going to send a very, very clear signal. First, I think it's going to be celebrated way, way beyond our borders. But I think in governments where there might be this danger, and I, I think Mexico is the biggest country that just elected a leftist populist, I think he's going to be pretty much framed by this. I think people in Mexico are going to go out to protest, not because Maduro fell, but because this is a signal of putting a limit on what López Obrador can do. And then you look at the other countries that are very close to what is the impact on Bolivia, Nicaragua, Cuba itself, and then Russia. Because Russia, in this global play, they thought they had an ally in Venezuela. The explosion of an ally is going to make them look bad. As a matter of fact, just the other day at the National at the Security Council of the UN, where the Venezuelan subject was brought by the United States and discussed – the Russian representative was never attacking or, de- I mean, never defending Maduro. He was attacking the United States because somehow they see that this is going to look really bad on them as being the last guy standing supporting this government, playing a, a, a badly calculated geopolitical game that, that you shouldn't have played with Maduro. If you want, right. if you want right. to play geopolitics, right. you should have never done it with Maduro. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and this is long term, of course. Venezuela has the largest oil reserves on the planet. And so getting that oil production going again, who's going to be hurt by that? Russia, Iran.
2: Russia, Iran. But also, I don't think anybody really wants more oil. The market is really oversupplied. So if I were to predict, I mean, it'll take years before Venezuela gets back. But at some point between now and those years, people will begin to give credit. Oh, Venezuela will produce more oil, and therefore the market will be even more saturated. So this is not going to be good for the people who are expecting or need oil to be above 50.
0: So I've known you a long time. I have never seen you this optimistic about where Venezuela is headed. So, is there anything else the U.S. should be doing here over the next few days that can that can help push this in the right direction? Well,
2: when one Guaido spoke with uh, Secretary Pompeo, the first conversation that they have, he said, "Our country is in ruins. It's in tatters. So we need help." But it was ruined in plain daylight over a long period of time with a lot of countries just sitting there and doing something. So, not only are we asking for help, we demand help. We're in the position where we think we can demand. This did not happen overnight, did not happen in 24 hours. This happened, this destruction of this country happened with the world watching, with the, those countries like the US that have formidable intelligence apparatuses and diplomatic apparatus and stuff like that watching this happen without doing anything. And some of the consequences that have happened, some of the people who are involved in Venezuela. Almost 30 years now. Exactly. Whether the people who are, you know, Hezbollah, the Russians, the Chinese, some of the stuff that's going on, narco-trafficking at a real scale, is something that we cannot solve ourselves. We have to really understand that the destruction of this country was a collective action, and the reconstruction of it will require the help of everybody. And that's what the United States should get ready for. So... If, if the Trump administration wants to claim credit for having focused on it, they're going to also have to engage you know, taxpayers' money and attention and time and security advice and all that to put this thing together. So the idea of being an isolated power and focusing on making America great, that's over. Venezuela is going to prove Trump wrong. If he wants to claim credit, he cannot claim credit for getting rid of Maduro. He's going to have to claim credit for having put Venezuela on the right path. Pedro, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to see you. Thank you so much, Mike.
0: That was Pedro Borelli. I'm Michael Morell. Please join us next time for another episode of Intelligence Matters.